Welcome to Coached Soul, a podcast for a better you. Here's your host, Steve Hudgens. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Steve, your host. I'm a licensed professional counselor here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This podcast is about how to be a better you. Sometimes we interview a variety of people to help you to look at things from a different perspective. Sometimes I talk with my co-host, Keith Brown, who is a Marine veteran and theologian. Together with a therapeutic view or a theologian point of view, we try to give you fresh ideas how to look at things in a different perspective. Today with me is Beth, who has gone through a traumatic experience that almost destroyed her family. When you're in a blended family, you can have many different avenues or good fortune or even end in disaster. There was a shocking yet disturbing event in Beth's life that took a twisted turn that no one ever expected. Beth, I want to welcome you to the show. and Let's start out briefly for our audience to discuss your prior relationship, how it ended in a divorce, and then we'll lead up into the blended family, and then we'll get into the devastating twist that happened. Hi, Steve, and thank you for having me on your show. I was married to my kids' dad for almost 26 years before we were divorced. We had five kids, one which is adopted. She is number four in the birth chain. She um, was a promise that God had given me 10 years before we had ever adopted her. Her birth mom uh, would come to live with us as a teenager herself, would come to live with us. And we took her in, and after a chain of events, Uh, She became pregnant with her third child, which is Elizabeth. What I thought would be an joyous occasion for my husband and I and our kids kind of put a strain on our marriage. My husband did not want to adopt any, didn't even want any more kids because our three kids were like 16, 13, and 12. And he just thought that we were past the baby stage. We could leave them if we needed to leave them to run to town or whatever. We, they were self-sufficient at this age. But after a series of events, we started going to counseling and um, had gone to counseling about twice. And in the uh, second counseling session, he made a statement that what um, life would this little girl have if we didn't adopt her. So he uh, agreed to the adoption. We adopted her at birth. She was a very healthy little girl. So Joe, you you mentioned that here's somebody living in your house and she became pregnant and you took the process of adopting her child. And I heard you say that there's some issues that began to develop between you and your husband. Can you talk a little bit more about the difficulties? Was it somebody living in the house or was it more of your feelings and your desire to adopt this little child and to bring it into the family what happened no steve it it wasn't that somebody was living in the house or that a new baby was coming we had issues in our marriage before uh elizabeth ever arrived Uh, We lacked communication in our marriage. We'd gotten married, I guess, at a a fairly normal age. I mean, I was 23, he was 27, but we never learned the art of communication. My parents were married for, I think, 47 years before my dad died, and they had a perfect marriage. They never fought. 
I, they always worked everything out behind closed doors if it had to do with my brother or I. So I never saw the reality of what really went on in a marriage. I mean, we had a great childhood. Things that I've heard in, you know, different home scenarios, we did have a perfect home life. Mom, again, mom and daddy never fought. Um, they were only married to each other. There was no divorce in my family. But again, I did not get a real true perspective on how to handle issues when they started arising. Five kids and even being married, there are always circumstances that arose. So we handled in the best that we could. Um, I I basically, um, unfortunately, raised five kids on my own, even though my husband was there, he was emotionally absent. He would go to all their ball games, but he would set off at a distance, would never sit in the stands with me. So, you know, it was through those years and as the years began to accumulate, we basically became roommates. We didn't have a marriage. Even my grown kids began to realize that um, this was not a marriage. So after almost 26 years of marriage, uh, I filed for divorce, uh, which I think this basically shocked my kids. My youngest two were like 12 and 13. So I ended up on my own for the first time in my life with two little girls to help raise. Joe, I want to kind of interject here. You, you mentioned the fact that you had some normalcy in growing up with your parents you marry at a young age, and you mentioned communication. When we think about therapeutically, we think communication is an issue in our relationship. Sometimes I think communication is just a symptom to the root problem of what's really going on. And sometimes I think communication is a symptom, but the root of the problem is more about fear. Fear about walking on eggshells, of how that person's going to react or going to respond to you. Fear of rejection or abandonment because they don't like what you're hearing or they isolate. Was some of those things, would you say, complicated your marriage because of fear? I think it was the polar opposite of how we we were raised. Um, he, I, I was raised at an early age to be in church um, we were two different denominations. There just was already a difference in, in that area. And then you bring in, um, again, like I said, the communication. We, growing up as kids, we I never saw my parents. I mean, they loved each other. They loved on each other in front of us. But I, I never saw them communicate anything, basically. And then my ex-husband grew up with an alcoholic father. So he went through all of that. And I really do believe, and he grew up as a, and he grew up to be an alcoholic, got saved the year before we met, but he still had the personality of somebody that was still living that lifestyle. He would handle, he would react to things as if he was still with that anger and that rage. So anger was a lot of, a lot of our marriage for the exact for the first five years, uh, anger and rage was a lot of our marriage. It did subside after our youngest son was born. I didn't see the anger so much, but by that time, I feel like the damage had been done communication wise, and we just became two separate people instead of one. So, Joe, it's interesting that you mentioned anger was in the divorce, uh, the marriage that leads up to the divorce. I'm just curious when 
you have five kids. You have an adopted child that, that comes along that has a big age difference between your children. How, how did that impact your other children with having someone that is adopted, that's brought into the family, that's different from everybody? You had a marriage or a family that was being able to function properly, and all of a sudden you just have this difference of, well, wow, we got somebody new in the family. Did that impact your children at all? It affected my youngest son, who was around the age of 10. Um, I realized later, after he became an adult, the reason a lot of his acting out at the age of 10, 11, 12, 13 was because he was the baby for 10 years. And not only did we adopt Elizabeth at birth, but I became pregnant with our fifth child. And that traumatically upset my oldest daughter, because now she was not only going to be the oldest blood child, uh, daughter, she would now have a younger sibling. So it did affect them greatly. I never uh, realized how much bringing a baby into a family. It did not affect our marriage per se, other than um, I had planned to go back to work. I had another job when uh, Elizabeth was born and I was going to put her in daycare. But when I became pregnant with Kylie, I realized there was no way that I could afford daycare for two and I stopped working. So now we have one income home with five children. So um, it put us fr- it put us in a financial bind a little bit. I mean, we were already a very frugal family. But as far as the, our oldest and our youngest, yes, it did impact them. So we have a lot of changes, a lot of difference of opinions and interactions with everybody. And just for clarity's sake, kind of expound what what led up to the demise of your relationship with your husband. And then let's kind of talk about what happened to you after the divorce. Okay. Well, being a family of now seven, it, it was quite the change for all of us. Um, but we all did gather around and we rallied and, uh, you know, we all helped. The, the kids all helped me. Um, my boys became babysitters, which, you know, I have realized that don't ever allow your children to be your babysitters because it puts them in a role that they didn't ask for. And, um, I've had to apologize for my, to my kids for that. My oldest daughter was driving, so she was gone. She was in school. Um, she played softball, she played basketball, so she was gone a lot. So she didn't feel the brunt of that as much. But um, the boys did. They were my instant babysitters if I had to run anywhere or if their dad and I wanted to go on a date night. And I think it began, for my youngest son, even though he loved his sisters, he did begin to develop some um, bitterness in his heart towards me, especially because, you know, I'm mom. We became busy. I mean, we became very busy raising five children in two different age brackets. I mean, we had two sets of kids, basically, and we were having to deal with different issues on each end of the spectrum. It kind of put a, well, it did put a strain on our marriage. And we found ourselves just, I don't know, just, we really weren't talking anymore. We were too busy raising kids and making a living to support the children. We ended up in divorce um, when the youngest was about 13 years old. It was most traumatic on my oldest three. You know, it's interesting that you brought out hindsight of here you are being a parent trying to raise children. 
and the impact that it had on them of being babysitters on the other. I don't think a lot of parents realize the impact that it has on children when we're expecting them to be doing adult things for adults, and that's impacting. So the divorce happens, and now here you are on your own with your children. Expound a little bit, what was that like? And did that contribute to you wanting uh, another man, another marriage to help you with things? Kind of expound a little bit about your emotions and thought processes about dating. Yes, the girls and I moved to a different town. Um, they they had to move schools, so it was it was a big change for all of us. Um, their dad was now living in a different state, a long ways away. He wasn't a part of their lives except for phone calls. My older kids, like I said, were already out of the house. I had I had grandkids coming along by this time. It. It drove me to my knees, I'll be honest. It drove me to my knees um, closer to the Lord because he's all I had. I didn't have a man in my life. Um, I I had to go into the Word. I had to go into prayer. Yes, I did want to remarry. My oldest daughter told me one time, said, Mom, you need to be um, single for a while because you, you need to figure this out. And I, and I told her, I said, you know, I've been single a long time even though I've been married. So I was lonely a long time in my marriage of 26 years, um, which is very sad to say. Yes, I did meet another man. We met online. We met two months after my divorce was final. We married two years um, later. The love of my life, I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything better. We got along great. Uh, I think we had one fight before we ever got married. We worked that out. I did not ever see anything uh, coming that was headed our way over the next uh, four years. You know, Beth, I, I find it interesting in your statement that you said in the next four years that you didn't see anything coming. Are you alluding to there's something that happened within this marriage that took a twist and a turn? Yes, I am. Uh, right uh, before I remarried, I had gotten calls from the school that my youngest daughters were going to and my adopted daughter Elizabeth had been caught taking uh, stuff out of backpacks. She was in kindergarten and and taking, you know, like I said, things out of backpacks of other kids, bringing them home. Uh, She was caught by the school. I honestly did not think much about it because I thought it's her age, you know, but the school thought enough about it that they required that she come back to school with a clear backpack. Um, Over the next four or five years, I began to watch as things would disappear in our homes, um, would be found at school. Um, She would take the mouse that goes to my computer. It would be in her backpack. She would begin to, by this time, um, I am remarried. Um, She is uh, taking money out of our bedroom, out of my husband's jar that he had for his daughter that he would he was saving for her gas. He would just throw his change in there. She was stealing those. Uh, she was stealing from my mom, who was in her late 80s. It was just something that I, I never had to deal with with my four natural children. I just chalk it up as teenage rebellion, basically. I, I kind of want to interject here because you're right. Some, some of these things are not going to 
occur to quote-unquote normal. When we think about therapeutically, when there is a an event between birth and to about three or four years of age, sometimes children develop attachment disorders. They can create a reactive attachment disorder. I don't want to go too much into those. I do want to focus on the events that keeps building up here that leads to the traumatic experience of what happens. And I don't want to give the listeners a heads up. Can you just start there where she continues taking things, the behaviors increase. It may seem like uh, obstinate defiant disorder, but we can look at it as reactive attachment disorder and kind of go from there. And, and did she get diagnosed and what was the diagnosis? Well, when uh, my husband and I, my new husband and I, uh, re- or when we married and we moved to a new house, uh, he came up with the idea that we would send the girls to do two different schools. We were right in the middle of basically two school districts. He said that would give um, the youngest one a break from her sibling, which they're only 11 months apart. They, I had held um, Elizabeth back in second grade because she had a reading disability. I held her back. That put both girls in the same uh, class at school and in the same school. So uh, we did, you know, we did put them in two different schools and it was phenomenal. Grace, she just, I mean, abounded with new friends. She took off. Um, she's very athletic. So everything that she does, she does very well. For Elizabeth, she was in trouble. Um, even in elementary, fourth and fifth grade at this school, she would um, be in uh, in-house suspension in the fourth and fifth, or I think it was fifth and sixth grade. She would be in-house suspension, which she would be, she'd spend a lot of time in in-house suspension. Um, the lying, the lying, you could not, we began to realize we could not tell if she was telling the truth or lying. And, and let me say, I know that everybody's told lies before, but this is different. I have four kids. I could tell on my other four kids, for the most part, when they were telling a lie to me. We could not tell when Elizabeth was telling the truth. I mean, her reality became whatever she was telling, whether it was the truth or a lie. It was her reality, and she brought us into that reality. Um, So there was a lot of problems with her at school. Um, She was in the principal's office a lot of times. I would be taking her to um, therapists trying to figure out what's wrong. Um, I knew that something was wrong. I knew that this was beginning to go beyond just teenage rebellion, that there was something wrong. And with her being adopted, I didn't know for sure what all was in her background. I knew her birth mom personally. I had met her birth dad, but I didn't know a lot of his history. So I began to help uh, seek help from, you know, a therapist and trying to find a diagnosis so I would know how to be a better mom for her. Um, we would go to many psychiatrists. She would be normal. They would come back and say, she's mad because of the divorce. And I'm like, but you don't understand. You don't, you don't live with this child. Um, she will torment her younger sister to the point where we could never catch her. It was just you know, we ended up having to put locks on our bedroom doors because she was coming in and taking whatever she wanted. And we could never find the stuff, so we could never really prove it. Um, we put cameras up in our house. 
uh, she was home by this time when I was, uh, you know, with my second husband, uh, she would be home about 30 minutes. By this time, she's in like seventh grade. She would be home about 30 minutes before I would get home from work. And we begin, we put the locks on the doors while she began to shimmy between the lock and the door and still go into our room. And that then we had to put the cameras up. It was a lot for a new marriage. It was a lot for my youngest daughter because she got put on basically the back burner because we were having to deal with Elizabeth 24 seven. We were, we couldn't take our eyes off of her. So a lot of problems began to develop between, uh, my husband and I, um, he, his, his children were way grown as mine are, my three oldest were, and, you know, I was still trying to protect her. So it brought a lot of discipline problems in between he and I on how to discipline my, uh, my daughter. We kept her uh, going into counseling. We stayed with counseling um, because I felt that was my only um, way to learn how to uh, parent her. She, we came out with a diagnosis of RAD, which is, which is a reactive attachment disorder that I found out that the majority of adoptive kids have towards basically mostly the adoptive mom. And she also was diagnosed with a learning disability. So, you know, putting all this together, um, it, again, it was a strain on our marriage. We had, um, I had sent her in 2018 to stay with her, um, her dad for, uh, well, it was about six weeks to give us a, a, um, I guess I would say a break so that we could have some kind of a normal life for six weeks between my husband and I and my youngest daughter. In those six weeks, she contacted me. I mean, we were we were still semi-close. She um, texted me about two days before she was supposed to come back and said, Mom, I can't wait. I'm coming back. I'm ready to see everybody. And I said, okay. Lo and behold, I did not know that at the end of her coming, well, when, her, when she came back, that my ex-husband on the ride back would ask her and tell her that she could now move in with him and his wife. Um, by the time we met at the attorney's office, which w- was where our drop-off was, I walked into a meeting where my husband, my ex-husband, had told her that she was now going to live with them. So I walked into a really hostile environment. It led to um, the attorney going to the parking lot with me because it was hostile. Um, I finally ended up having to take control of taking her to my car once we got away from my ex-husband and his wife, uh, we, we uh, drove down, went to pick up my youngest daughter from my son's house. And once we picked up Grace from there, we drove to my house. The whole um, dramatics stopped. Um, she settled back in. We got home. We were going to take uh, we were going to take her out to eat because she was coming back in. You know, like I said, being gone for six weeks, everything was fine. That we thought four days later. I'm taking the the girls to my youngest son's house because they're babysitting for him. And that later that night, I am waiting on the girls to come home. They never came home. I'm making phone calls to my son, to my daughter-in-law. I can't get anybody to answer. I um, go over to the house. Nobody's home. They were supposed to have been home around about 8 o'clock. By 10.30, 11 o'clock, I'm beginning to panic. I can't find anybody. And the sickening feeling in my stomach just that something has happened. We had the f- gate because you have to drive into our property. Uh, we have to open the gate to let you in. Uh, we saw a car coming. We ran inside, shut the door because we, you know, the girls were coming home and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. We cannot understand 
why the doorbell, why the girls would be ringing the doorbell when I opened the door. There stood two uh, county uh, sheriff and two DHS workers. I mean, Beth, that's pretty scary. You're expecting things to be normal, and they're not. And you have DHS and sheriffs, and I can only imagine what's happening. And to our listeners, you're going to have to imagine until next week what really happened. Sorry to end it on this tune, but we're running out of time. Beth, I appreciate you today. We're going to pick up next time and pick up what really happened and the redemption that came from it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for joining us today. We hope to have you back next week. Until then, be safe and be kind.